Good morning. The scripture this morning is from Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 20. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time of the burning of incense came, all the assembled worship. All the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many people will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord of their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, "How How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent, not able to speak, until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true in their point of time. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. morning again. Before I begin the sermon proper, many of you received this. There are some at the back if you haven't. Uh, Often in Advent we produce a reading guide and sometimes we have a CD. Last year we did a CD with worship music. Um, This year we're doing a guide each week and so there'll be one of these available each week that takes you through some readings for that week and some reflections as well. So we um, uh, invite you to take one of these and and, uh, take it up during the week, the reading of that. In, in your Advent journey. I also want to welcome Wilma back. Wilma Maritovic is back with us. Uh, we continue to pray for you. Uh, Wilma's mom died recently, and she traveled back uh, to be uh, there for the family and service. And uh, so welcome home. We continue to pray for you. Well, we're not yet into December, but we're already into the season of Advent. Four Sundays before Christmas make up the season of Advent, the season of preparation. And as Christmas Day is a Sunday this year, today, November 27th, is the first Sunday in Advent. For me, for many years, a starting point for Christmas in terms of Scripture has been a consideration of the Zechariah and Elizabeth story in the first chapter of Luke. The Christmas story is told actually only in two of our four Gospels. And there, briefly... So if you're going to consider the Christmas story over the season of Advent, it helps to start from the beginning. Zechariah was a priest of the Jewish faith 
married to Elizabeth, and they were, as Richard read for us, older, past the age, apparently, of being able to have children. They had no children. They had so wanted a child, and they prayed to God about this. This can happen often. Some of you have done this in your own life. If you feel an absence and you have a faith in God, you can sometimes ask yourself or others, is it punishment from God that I'm missing this thing or experiencing this loss? It's a difficult question. And I, in my experience, God always moves us, often moves us away from that question, reminds us of his love. So that even if it is something on our part, we're encouraged towards something positive, to hope in God and Jesus Christ. In Zechariah and Elizabeth's case, Scripture is explicit. It points out they were righteous before God. It's like saying this was not a punishment from God in any way. They hadn't done anything deserving of such, even if God acted that way. It's just that their prayers had apparently, to them, in their minds, not been heard or not been answered, at least in the way that they had hoped. Christmas, for many people in our world, in our culture, is marked by the lack of something. Some of you are experiencing this already, facing Christmas as it comes, not simply as joy and light, but as kind of impending sorrow that comes with it. It can be a tough time for people. Such absences can be deep and strongly felt, spiritual pain and emotional angst. But there are smaller absences as well, things that are not quite how you would like them to be, longing for something more that can't quite be defined. Did you at one time or other experience Christmas as a wonder? I don't know how old you might have been at that point, a child, a preteen, maybe an adult. And you try at times to get that feeling back. It's not always easy, is it? Because that kind of thing comes as gift often. When you're overwhelmed by beauty and meaning, so meaningful that you can't get to the depths of it. There are major absences that we can feel, and many of you carry some of those now with you into this place of worship. But there are also general longings the too often present feeling that something is not quite right, that I don't quite feel at peace, that something is missing. To get quite mundane with this, I'll ask this question. Do you know when boredom started? Some of you would say about 25 seconds after you started preaching. (laughs) But I mean historically. When did people begin to mention that they felt bored? When's the first time we see this in literature and history? Well, it seems to have corresponded with the time when people began to feel the responsibility to make their own meaning in life. Before that, before that time, at one time, people were told by tradition or custom, culture or religion, where they fit in the world, the place that they had. So meaning came from without. There's not a lot of mention of boredom in those times. But when those things, sometimes rightfully so, cease to have a hold on us, tradition, religion, custom, and culture, we become responsible for making our own meaning. At least that's what we think. Now, it's true that a freedom can come with that. But what else comes with that is repeated boredom. Sometimes just mundane, daily boredom. 
but sometimes a boredom of the soul and spirit, a general longing. You may identify with that. You may think to yourself, why don't I often and more consistently feel better than I do? So Elizabeth and Zechariah lived in a different time than we live in now. They didn't have to worry, like we do, about finding their place in the world. It was, to a large degree, prescribed to them. What we share with them, however, is a sense of longing for more. They longed for more. They wanted a child. And we may have discernible, definable absences like this, but we have at least this, a desire for something, for someone to show us meaning, true meaning, included, included with that the idea that we matter in the world. On the first Sunday of Advent, we consider the beginning of the Christmas story, but we consider also the beginning of the whole of Scripture, as Chris read to us, Genesis chapter 1, creation. We are with Zechariah as he walks towards the temple on that morning. Richard read it for us. He's walking towards the temple to take up his priestly duties, and on this day, chosen by the roll of the dice, which they would say is somehow ordained by God, chosen by the casting of lots, Zechariah is the one who will light the candles of incense by the altar, which then will represent the prayers of the people who are gathered outside and can't come in. He'll light those candles and on behalf of those people lift up those prayers to God. It's a privilege for him. It's a somewhat exceptional day. So you're walking with Zechariah or you see him walking towards that temple. And I want you to consider him there, but I want you to zoom out. It's easy for you to imagine this now because of Google Earth and such. Sometimes on the news they do this so quickly that you get dizzy. I want you to zoom out from Zechariah now geographically from where he is to over the whole earth. But now in your mind, I want you to zoom out in time as well, not just space. Zoom out over his space, over all the earth, but back in time as well to creation itself. So let Zechariah kind of freeze there in that moment, walking towards the temple. And now we're back to creation. Genesis chapter 1, God speaks, and confusion becomes order. Darkness is overwhelmed with light. God speaks, and what does God say? Let there be light. Of course, the question is, you can quickly zoom back down now to Zechariah. This content, but also somehow aware of absence in his life, this priest. The question is, God has said, let there be light. But does that mean anything at all to Zechariah? He and Elizabeth still burdened by their longing. And of course, and you do this, and it's okay. You can do this here. I'll do it too. Does it mean anything to you that God spoke, let there be light? You hoping to feel the peace of purpose and meaning and some kind of lasting comfort in this world. And you know by now, because I'm looking out and you're almost all adults in this place. Except, is there a balcony up there? I can barely see you through the lights. Hello there. You know by now, of course, that that lasting comfort doesn't come simply from having all the things that you want. Or all your hopes answered. You need a deeper comfort than that. Here's how creation might matter to Zechariah on that day. 
Creation, understood properly from our scriptures, is an act of grace. God's first act of grace. God chooses not to be God without the world and without people. He could have been God without the world and without people. He chooses not to be God without the world, without people, without Zechariah, and without you. See how creation itself is an act of grace? So I want you in our Advent journey through these four weeks, I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to try to hold three things in your mind at once. Can you do that? Developmentally, you all should be able to do that. I want you to hold creation. God spoke and said, let there be light. I want you to hold incarnation, the Christmas story, Jesus, the stable, the manger. And I know you can hold the third thing, your own life. That one you seem to never let go. So creation, incarnation, and our own lives. You see, because in creation, God makes. The world is created. In incarnation, Jesus come to this earth. The Son of God is begotten. It's different than creation. Do you see that? God creates the world, but the Son of God is begotten. And the Christian claim is this, that these things matter to you because in creation God has said that you matter. And in incarnation, God has sent the fullness of his love that you might know the freedom that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see this? Why we want people to know of this faith, this Savior, how the birth of Jesus Christ is another declaration of God. Once again, God's saying, in this birth, let there be light. But it's a recreation. It's a redemption. And Jesus Christ is proven to be the one true light. This is so much more than a sentimental story. Our theme for Advent this year is spoken light. That's why I've been speaking like I have been over the last number of minutes. I want you to hear the words of God, let there be light. But I want you to hear those words not only at creation, but also in the incarnation, the birth of Jesus Christ. The words to the shepherds, terrified at the appearance of an angel. Everybody's terrified when an angel shows up. You would be too. They, for some reason, they don't, uh, they don't uh, conjure up just a cute response. Oh, that's a lovely little angel. They freak you out. And so that in every case, the angel has to say, do not be afraid. The shepherds are confronted with the angel. Fear not. We, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. And then the glory of the Lord. And you know the words, right? Those of you who know King James. The glory of the Lord shone round about them. Or if you know Linus, you know this too. Charlie Brown Christmas. The glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. That's good language. It's a statement of faith to say that God is over all of creation. God speaks and there is light. And God is always creating. It's a faith statement that we are not alone in this world. And at Christmas, 
Light is spoken again in fullness. Jesus Christ, the one true light. Never known anyone like him. Never seen such love, such peace and meaning. This is Christian faith. So back to Zechariah, the beginning of the Christmas story proper. He goes to the temple that day, lights the incense, candles that represent the prayers of the people. The people aren't allowed to go into the place where Zechariah stands at the altar there. So he lights the candles on their behalf. And he has to, it's easy for me to think of this. Sometimes you forget this. I'm not judging you for it. It's just the way we treat each other, right? The people are thinking of their own prayers, but at least Zechariah is also thinking of Zechariah's prayers. You know ministers do that, right? He's thinking of their prayers too. But he also has this longing in his heart. And he lights the candles of incense. And an angel appears. Now, it's good writing... Because the angel later later identifies himself kind of aggressively. I'm Gabriel. It's the angel Gabriel. Gabriel says to Zechariah, the Lord has heard your prayer after after the obligatory don't be afraid. The Lord has heard your prayer. In other words, you have not been left alone. Creation will become recreation. You and Elizabeth will have a child, and Zechariah is bewildered. He is a man of faith, but he's also a reasonable man. And he's done the math, and he says to Gabriel, says to the angel, he says, this is highly unlikely. In fact, I'm going to say it's not going to happen. And that's when the angel says, I'm Gabriel, which is just such a great thing. And because you didn't believe, you will be unable to speak until the baby is born. Nine months and a bit. Is such wordlessness punishment or gift? Of course, it's both. But it's all gift. A wordless priest. He's delayed in going back out to the people, delayed by this angelic conversation that ends with his silence And when he does go back out to the people, he tries with hand signals. See, what he's supposed to do is say to them, like a good minister would say to you, your prayers have been heard. I've lifted up your prayers to God. And they would, at the right words from Zechariah, be dismissed and go back to their homes. But he can't speak. And eventually they just leave. Scripture says, in the understated way that Scripture tends to say these things, he goes home and Elizabeth conceives. That's all it says. We find out later, well, Gabriel told us, but Zechariah, it's one of his last kind of wordless acts. We find out later that the child will be named John, and he'll be known in history as John the Baptist, the one who prepares the way for Jesus Christ, for the light, for the glory of God to be seen. The prophet Isaiah had foretold that in preparation for such glory, all of the mountains would be brought low, and all of the valleys would be raised up, and all of the rough places would become a plain Why? So that God's glory could be seen by all. And John the Baptist is identified in Christian faith as that one voice calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. The light will dawn. And you know Handel's Messiah from the prophet Isaiah. The light will dawn. Glory of God will be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. The dawning of the light. So let me say a few things from my own life, my own faith and consideration that I think might be helpful to you 
as we enter this season of Advent and move towards Christmas. Firstly, by this light, I am asked. I am not doing the asking. Let me describe that and explain that to you. Just about everything in your life right now is marketed towards you and you get to assess it. Church, clothing, fashion, style, politics, products, people, celebrities, movies, music, friends. But just about everything is presented and then we assess I guess it's worth asking, do you get tired in life of assessing things? I don't want to give my opinion on this. I don't think I'm that important. That's a marketer's death knell. If you say, you know what, I'm not that important. Oh, yes, you are. You deserve the best. By the dawning of the one true light, and this is not oppressive, it's freeing. We are not asking, we are asked. See, I can see this sometimes in memorial services, particularly as we move further, I think we're still doing this, into a post-Christian kind of culture. It used to be, because now if I do memorial services, particularly for people who haven't been to church much or whatever, and I enjoy doing that, I can speak of my faith and and comfort and console. Um, But often, there's often now no reference to anything higher. The memorial service and the reception afterward often consists entirely of a list of the things that the person liked and how good they were and nice, say nice things about them. But it's a list of things that in their life they assessed and they like this and this and this and this. And we miss them so much. By the dawning of the one true light, we are not asking, we are asked. The incarnation, as you consider Jesus Christ being born, the light dawns and dispels the darkness, even of your own life. And you are not telling God or anybody else what you like and what you think and what your opinion is. You are humbling yourself before the one true light. A prayer. Dear God, I come before you. You are God. And I am not. I have nothing to ask you, O Lord, but that you would ask me. Good writers, singers, artists, and poets can echo this. We lost a Canadian legend not too long ago, a couple weeks ago, Leonard Cohen. He really rediscovered his Jewish faith. Actually, he never really left it though he spent some time in a Buddhist monastery battling when he battled depression. But some of you know one of his more famous songs, If It Be Thy Will. This shows you what it's like to be humble. Because he's presenting himself before God, not assessing. You know, Some of you know the words, If it be your will that I speak no more and my voice be still as it was before, I will speak no more. I shall abide until I am spoken for, if it be your will. If it be your will that a voice be true from this broken hill, I will sing to you. From this broken hill, all your praises they shall ring. If it be your will to let me sing. 
Will you humble yourself before Christ this Advent, this Christmas? I say that to those of you who are Christians and have responded to the love of God in Jesus Christ, and I invite you who do not consider yourself Christian, would you humble yourself before Christ? It's a gift to stop doing that asking and realize that this light asks in love. But secondly, this one I don't want to spend too much time on because I want you to feel it more than me explain it. It's a Christian faith statement to say that this light is eloquent and radiant. And those who have truly known Christ will just say, Amen. Beautiful. And speaking beauty and hope and peace. The light, Jesus Christ, the one true light, eloquent and radiant. Now hear this. I so want you to believe in Jesus Christ. But hear this. This light is eloquent and radiant not because I believe. It's eloquent and radiant in and of itself, Jesus Christ the Lord. The light itself is eloquent and radiant before I see it. And even if I do not see it, in some ways we could describe this as the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. The question for you is, have you seen this eloquence and radiance at Christmas time? Are you expecting this? Would you like to know the eloquence and radiance of this light, the light of Christ? Then what you need to do is pray a prayer of faith. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, I put my trust in you. Open my eyes to see. And you will see. Finally, by this one true light, we ourselves are discovered and disclosed. The more proper way to put this is that by this one true light, personalize this first before making it corporate altogether. By this one true light, I am discovered and disclosed. We can now join the company of Zechariah and Elizabeth and the shepherds and go through all the characters of the Christmas story. There aren't that many, really. But those who respond to Jesus Christ's birth in this positive way, all of them, at the dawning of the light, they come to life. This world is always asking, and you hold this, some of you, depending on your age, some of you feel past this in some ways, and that can be a gift as well to, to find some sense of peace. But this world seems to, I don't know if it is or we put this on ourselves, but always be asking, who am I going to make myself out to be? The world seems to require this. What will I make of myself in my work? in my family, in my relationships, in my success or lack thereof? What will I make myself out to be? And if we make it, then we can feel pretty good. At least we can look across down the aisle of the, in the church and think, well, I'm doing a little bit better than them. This is a question that just we, we keep going back to it over and over again, even though it can do a lot of damage. It's not altogether bad, but... What am I going to make myself out to be? Christian faith, there's less pressure than that. Hear that. Some of you need to hear that. There's much less pressure than that first question brings. 
but there is also a much greater call. Instead of who will I make myself out to be, the question is, will I respond to this dawning of the light? Will I respond to this dawning of the light and become illumined myself? Instead of what will I make myself out to be, will I respond to the dawning of the light and myself become illumined? That can be for each of us here. And I know most of you, and I would say, and I'd probably say the same if I got to know those who I don't know. This can be true for you. You can become illumined, lit up, by responding to the dawning of the light of Jesus Christ. Seen your spiritual gifts. I've seen your compassionate hearts. This is what the Holy Spirit does in us when we respond to this light that has dawned. By this light, I am discovered and disclosed. I'll ask this for you. Does anybody truly know you? I mean, there's a lot of people even near you who think they know you. And they would tell you a lot about yourself. Maybe. Kindly so. Does anybody truly know you? I mean... Jen can finish a lot of my sentences for me now, and sometimes she does, and therefore stop the rest. At least that's the hope. We're pretty close. We know each other well. But even those who are closest to you love you the most. Do they know the depths of the questions in your heart? This is the proclamation of the light that has dawned. That the answer to that question, are you known, is yes. Known and loved and not abandoned. So what on earth would creation have to do with you? God spoke, let there be light. Did that matter to Zechariah that day? Does it matter to you today? And the recreation and the redemption, the dawning of the one true light, God spoke, Jesus Christ, the one true light born into this world. So I invite you this Christmas, come back here, Read things like this guide. Take up your own spiritual disciplines in this season of preparation. Come back on Sundays and bring friends to hear this message of Jesus Christ. I invite you this Christmas to be awakened, to pray, to respond, to prepare your heart. The light of Jesus Christ spoken into this world, even into your life. And we would say together, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. So would you pray with me? I'll lead you in prayer. I'm going, to pray a pray, a, I'm going to pray a prayer of faith. If you feel like in your mind echoing that prayer, I invite you to do that, even if you've never prayed it before. It's a prayer of trusting in Jesus Christ. Dear Jesus, I humble myself before you now. I want to know your love the life that comes in trusting in you. I want to see you as the one true light, the whole earth, trusting not in myself, but in you. Forgive my sins and reveal to me the fullness of your love and reveal to me the meaning and purpose that I have in you. I ask this in your name. Amen.